Bar. It's Stephen Kirk with Populist. I am Steve Hafer. With me, as always, is Kirk Trutner. How are you doing today, Kirk? I'm doing well. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 15. This is where Steve and I debate the top 10 stand-up comics. Now, we want to be clear. Steve and I talked about this. want to be clear. We're not talking about people who are funny in the movies or funny on TV. These are people, performers, who cut their teeth on stage doing stand-up comedy, doing multiple sets at the Laugh Factory or... The Comedy Club. How many comedy theaters do we have in L.A.? But we're talking about people who are known primarily for stand-up comedy. That's right. And, of course, a lot of their careers did then transition into television and film and everything because funny is funny and studios look for those things. This was tough though. Uh, there's a ton of good people out there and really tough. The more you dig into it, you're going, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We always say it was tough to narrow it down, but this is this one. I mentioned before we, we started that I could have a dozen people tied at 10. It's just, there's so many funny people out there and for different reasons, and for, for different criteria, I mean, you could mix and match, you know, three dozen people and come up with a list that would be hard to argue with. But um, hopefully uh, we both come up with one that we can we can compare and contrast and, and have a, a pretty presentable group. Yeah. And I think if we ever go back and do one of those uh, segments later where we say I want to go back and revise my list, <laughs> this might be a strong candidate for both of us because uh, – even even last night, I was just going, hmm, really, really? I mean, I like my list. I'm, I like my list a lot, but <laughs> there's a lot of talent left on the cutting room floor, so to speak. Absolutely. Um, well, we had a good uh, good episode last week with um, the uh, best songs from Disney films. A lot of good feedback from that. Uh, and uh, I know it was a long one, but there was a lot to say. And I, I think the subject just kind of filled the time. So hopefully everybody enjoyed it. I think you'll enjoy this one, too. But uh, first, before we get into our lists, uh, let's do our unlisted segment. And Kirk, who are uh, some of the names that will be unlisted for you today? Well, this this is where I will take my opportunity to cheat. Um, <laughs> Good boy. You know, I, in a lot of ways, you 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 can group some of the people that did not make my list. So, for instance, Dick Gregory and Mort Saul did not make my list. Absolutely deserving pioneers. You know, brilliant commentators on politics and race and and america in the 60s um i just don't know that there's enough exposure for them and i think that that the 10 i've got are a little bit not only better known but but have a broader uh field of work and the name that that i think might surprise people is lenny bruce i did not put lenny bruce on the list and not because he wasn't funny and wasn't a a trailblazer but quite honestly i think he's more known for his notoriety rather than his material. Everybody knows the story of Lenny Bruce and how he was busted for obscenity charges, but you really don't know his material. So that's what kind of pulled him back into my second 10. Um, so those are some of the names you will not see on my list. Yeah. Like we said, it's hard. Um, some of the names that will not be on my list include uh, Billy Crystal, a uh, hugely popular uh man for hosting many award shows and doing many movies. Uh, the man who gets no respect, uh, Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> he just didn't get enough respect for me to make my list and a uh, controversial person. The, uh, the elephant in the room, Bill Cosby, which I got to say, 
Under normal circumstances in a nice life, uh, Bill Cosby finishes probably number four or number three on my list. Uh, I thought that much of him, and uh, he was an influential part of my childhood with his comedy, uh, an amazing storyteller. But it's just, uh, it makes you grind your teeth, and it's just hard to rationale to yeah. put him on any sort of list and celebrate him. So I'm with you. You won't be hearing those. Uh, but I also want to, you know, I don't want to not mention him at all because I want our list to have credibility and for people just not to think that, oh, they're just, you know, no, we, we struggled with it. And there were a couple of other names on that list who have controversial things and, you know, but that's, that's the way it is in life. And, uh, you're going to come across that. So let's get into who our lists are all about. And we'll start with me since you started last time. And that brings us to number 10. My number 10 is uh, somebody who I didn't think was going to make the list uh, initially. Uh, I've always thought very strongly of him, but then as I was going back and watching more stuff and everything, I was going, man, there has never not been a time that this guy has not made me laugh, and that is Gary Shandling. Uh, he wrote a uh, script back in the early days for uh, Sanford and Son and Welcome Back, Cotter. He thought he was going to be a writer. Um and then he had a bad experience during a story meeting for Three's Company, which he was uh, trying to uh, sell a script there. And so Shandling just quit that part of the business and said, you know, I'm going to go do stand-up because I can do my comedy there. I can control it, and we'll see how it goes. Um, his TV debut for stand-up was on uh, The Tonight Show with Carson, and he quickly became a favorite of Johnny's, which is always good, and uh, was a hopeful to replace Carson as the main host someday. His persona is anxiety-ridden, guarded, confused, but the laughter with him comes fast. It comes often. It's almost nonstop. Uh, his stand-up was the basis for his show, It's Gary Shandling Show, and also for his late-night hosting experience uh, laid the base for The Larry Sanders Show, both very popular shows involving his comedy. Uh, he was asked to host the Grammys four times and the Emmys twice. He's a just very funny man, and he always makes me laugh. Gary Shandling, my number 10. Again, we have a, an embarrassment of riches on this on this topic. Uh, Shandling did not make mine, uh, but I agree with everything you said. Uh, I love the shows. I loved his material. I think he's better known, uh, honestly, for the shows um, and hosting gigs, etc., as opposed to being known as a stand-up. But uh, very funny guy, and I can I can see why he made your list. Yeah, and that's why. I I thought initially if I had to handicap my list that he wasn't going to make it because that's the impression I was under also. But then I just started watching again as going, man, there's a lot of stuff out there and he commanded a crowd and he commanded them by never letting them not laugh. <laughs> he just kept on laughing, laughing, laughing. Uh, he was impressive. So number 10, who's your number 10? My number 10, you know, I, again, the, putting this list together was, was, was interesting as I, as I sorted through and, you know, chuckle criteria, et cetera, I, I'm going to paraphrase the great Mel Brooks. And that was a lot of the people I've got are stand up philosophers that they not only are funny, <laughs> but they really make you think. Um, and I think the best comedians do make you laugh and think, and they're not afraid to touch the third rail uh, on a lot of things, mainly race. Uh, in this country. And I think all of the, those criteria can be attached to my number 10 uh, is Eddie Murphy. Uh, it's widely agreed that, that, you know, in the mid eighties, there was no one, I mean, no one funnier than Eddie Murphy. You know, there's Sam Kinison, there's Bill Hicks, there's Mitch Hedberg, but nobody was funnier than Eddie. And what Eddie brought to stand up comedy, he moved stand up into the arenas. 
he took it out of the clubs and made it a rock show. Eddie was a rock star. And that's very evident when you see movies like Raw and Delirious, you know, two films he released back to back, 83 and 87, that just showcased who Eddie was, what he was doing, how he had transformed comedy. Uh, it was just, you know, amazing. Very well deserving of a Mark Point Award uh, for American comedy in, in 2015. Obviously, he cut his teeth on Saturday Night Live. And, and when you look back, SNL really was an extension of his stand-up when you look at the characters he did on, on SNL and how those, you know, move forward into, uh, into his act. The only reason he's not a little bit higher is some of his material hasn't aged really well. There's, there's some homophobic stuff and, and some misogynistic stuff that, that he probably would rethink. I, I would imagine maybe not. Um, but that's the only reason he's not a little bit higher. But, uh, again, during the eighties, Eddie was the bomb and he is number 10 for me. Yeah, he um, he is the one. We always talk about uh, how some of our choices dance in and are on and off the list. He is the one for me uh, that just missed the cut. <laughs> and I think Chandling just bumped him out. Uh, I agree with everything you said. Um, his delirious tour was uh, superstar making. It was it was huge, and like you said, packing big arenas. I, I love him. Uh, I think if he had stayed with stand up a little heavier, deeper into his career that would have broken the tie and he would have made my list. But, uh, you know, you can't blame a man when you're getting all these huge multi multi-million dollar offers to do all these films. So good choice on your part. Let's move on. Number nine. My number nine, I think is the other person, like you said with Eddie Murphy that brought comedy into the big arena, which is a very big reason of why I picked him. Uh, he's beloved. Um, he's probably going to be higher on uh, a lot of people's list. But that is Steve Martin, former writer for the Smothers Brothers and frequent host on Saturday Night Live. He is really the master of absurdist col- uh, comedy, influenced by uh, or influenced people like Tina Fey and Steve Carell, Stephen Colbert, Conan O'Brien. He would always play the cool, suave guy with the suit and he'd act that fake su- uh, suave cool. But then he'd have the arrow through the head or the bunny ears on. He incorporated his banjo all the time. He made up songs playing uh, different cultures and moods against the the banjo stereotype. Uh, And he was just very, very good at it. And he knew his audience. He knew how to keep the show going and keep everybody engaged. Lots of one-liners and one-line bits, but nonstop zany. That uh, That was the brilliance beneath it all. He didn't have, I think, just one kind of crowd. He could play equally well to the Broadway theaters and the, the big stadium crowds, as well as a small, a small club. He was that adept and he knew his, his format and his material that well. So, uh, not too much more. I think we all know him we know all the comedy albums. He won two Grammys for his stand up albums, uh, and received some Kennedy center honors. So great guy. Number nine, Steve Martin. I think that is an excellent choice because my number nine is also, Steve Martin, uh, the excuse me guy, the King Tut guy, the wild and crazy guy. Uh, but everything you said is absolutely true. And and what, what has become even more remarkable as we look back now on his career, all of that early zaniness really belied just the amazing intellect this guy possesses. And it's it's so obvious in all the things that he is is branched off into. 
since, you know, those early days of comedy as an actor, as a musician with the Steve Canyon Rangers, uh, as a writer, uh, you know, there's just so many ways he is, he is, you know, expanded and expressed himself over the past 40 years. Um, it was absurd humor, but it had incredible theatricality and showmanship. You know, he knew what he was doing. And, and you know, I, I mentioned the excuse me guy, the King Tech guy, wild and crazy guy. We all know comics who go out there trying to find a, a, a statement line that they can use as their go-to. And, you know, you're trying to establish that line. It's like kind of like giving yourself a nickname. Steve Martin didn't try to do that with excuse me or King Tut or wild and crazy guy. These were funny bits that people absolutely embraced and wanted to be a part of. Uh, he was accessible. He was funny. Uh, he had that kind of, where's he going to go next kind of feeling with his act. Uh, and ironically, you know, as, as you mentioned, he brought, he brought comedy into larger venues. Uh, you know, he was quoted once as saying my act was conceptual and once the concept was stated and everybody understood what I was doing, it was over. It was about coming to the end of the road. There was no way to live on in that persona. Um, and I had to take that as fabulous luck for not being remembered as that exclusively. And I love that he ended with, you know, I didn't announce that I was stopping. I just stopped. <laughs> but Steve Martin at that point in time, late seventies, I remember on SNL, you know, very much like Eddie was the guy in mid eighties. Steve was the guy very late seventies who was, was everything in comedy. I like the fact that he's gone back out and uh, I saw his uh, show that he did with um, Martin short. That was originally on Broadway. Then they toured. Oh, it was hilarious. Was, yeah. I was able to see it. And it was great. And uh, he, he still has it. And Martin short is a, is a great partner for him. One thing about the Grammys that I mentioned for his albums, he actually has five Grammys, but three of them, are for his banjo playing. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he he's done a lot with his music. He loves his music. It, it's probably a bigger passion of his than anything. But uh, uh, it worked for his comedy and uh, very 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 funny man, Steve Martin. Good choice. All right, let's move on. Number eight. My number eight is the first woman on my list, and the reason she's on my list is because. She was the first woman stand-up, at least the one who gets the credit for it, and that is Phyllis Diller. Uh, she was the first of the successful female stand-ups, a real trailblazer. Um, She's known for her eccentric stage persona, her self-deprecating humor, the exaggerated cackling laugh, and her wild hair and clothes. Uh, she would often just uh, refer to her overall look as like a lampshade in a whorehouse, <laughs> which is perfect. Have you ever saw her? Uh, seen a video of her it's an apt description um that was also the title of her uh, autobiography which came out in 2005 she's the queen of the one-liners uh she's in the guinness book of uh world records for the most laughs um she had uh was recorded having 12 laughs in 60 seconds on stage once uh the biggest butt of all of her jokes was her mythical first husband fang which thousands and thousands of not millions of people thought was a legitimate husband. They had no idea that it was just made up. She had to explain that one on interviews many, many times. She started at age 37. She uh, was encouraged by her first husband that uh, she should just do something else and not be a housewife. And so she always wanted to try this and she had a 47 year career all the way up to age 84. Um, a young Barbara Streisand opened for Phyllis back in the 60s. Uh, Phyllis did TV, USO shows with Bob Hope, movies, Vegas, New York, everything. She retired in 2002, uh, 
had her costumes and her joke file cabinet with tens of thousands of jokes donated to the Smithsonian. Uh, I got to meet her in the late 90s. Uh, fabulous, giving, caring, wonderful person. Super nice. She's my number eight, Phyllis Diller, a giant in the industry. She is a great choice. And and again, I, I, we go back to the embarrassment of riches. Um, when I think of her, I think of the the stereotypical Catskill comedian, just the machine gun jokes. If one doesn't work, just go to the next one, go to the next one, go to the next one, fill your five minutes, get off the stage. Um, but she made a career out of it. And to your point, she was the first woman to really do it and really do it successfully. So, you know, she paved the way for a lot of people and even Joan Rivers to an extent, which, which kind of fit that same mold of, a, of the, of the, you know, the jokey comic, as opposed to, you know, the storytelling comic or the thoughtful comic, et cetera. Great career in Hollywood. Uh, terrific stand-up comedian did not make my list, but again, I can completely understand why you've got her on, on yours. Yep. She was uh, fantastic. And even though she made the career out of the one-liners and everything, it wasn't just simply just joke after joke. I, I know that's not exactly what you're saying because you'd see her read the audience, play off the audience, play off things that went wrong with her. And she was very adept to just, you know, reacting to whatever and then getting back to what she wanted to talk about. So anyway, who's your number eight? My number eight is also uh, a woman. Uh, she was a two-time winner of the funniest female comic, uh, an award presented by her peers. Uh, she's got a Lifetime Achievement Award from the American Comedy Awards. She's got a Mark Twain Prize for Comedy. She has won an Emmy, a Tony, and a Grammy. Two Peabody Awards. First person to ever have a one-woman show on Broadway. Uh, and that is Lily Tomlin. Um, she represents the next generation of women comics to me. Uh, we talked about the Phyllis Diller's John Rivers group. Then you move on to Lily Tomlin, and, and she was the one that that took what they had done, ran with it, and expanded it. Uh, and really, really created more of a presence for women in the world of comedy, that they didn't just have to be the nightclub comic. They didn't just have to be the cocktail hour comic. They could do a lot of different things as well. She did a play called Search for Intelligent Life in the Universe that earned her a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Tonys in 1977. I mean, it, it's pretty remarkable what she was able to do. Granted, I'm, I'm mentioning a lot of things that maybe are not exactly stand-up, but all of the stand-up fed into this. She still does gigs all around the country. She retains that kind of cool, dope-smoking grandmother cachet that she's, that, you know, one of the original gangsters to a lot of these newer female and all comedians at this point in time as well. She still has that outsider cachet. You know, she never became mainstream and she still has that, that ability to, to have that rabble rousing feeling about her. The characters that she was able to do, you, you know, many of them you saw on laugh in and she brought Edith Ann and uh, Ernestine, the operator. And it was a lot of those characters and her ability to storytell and her keen insight uh, that she used to kind of showcase the human condition, never cruel about it, but very, very you know, candid about it. Uh, brilliant woman, uh, very talented. Uh, Lily Tomlin is my number eight. Yep. I love her. She was 13th on my list of 10. <laughs> uh, and uh, she's just a hard personality not to like. Good choice. Let's move on. Number seven. My number seven is... Uh, somebody who's still out there doing it all the time. Um, and we probably all saw him when he was like a 21 year old kid. And that is Chris rock. 
uh, starred in the clubs around New York and was kind of discovered or at least brought into the big time uh, by Eddie Murphy when he saw uh, Chris playing in a club in Brooklyn. Um, Murphy was kind of a mentor to uh, Chris Rock through the early days and through his SNL days also and trying to navigate how do you survive on SNL as a black comedian. Um, his HBO specials, Bring the Pain, Bigger and Blacker, uh, cemented him into super superstardom. They are amazingly strong shows. Tons of laughs. They're over before you realize it. Uh, but they're not short. They're, they're full-length concerts. They're really good. Uh, his comedy involves race relations in the U.S., along with family, politics, celebrities, music, romance. He covers it all, and he does it in his style. Uh, he draws a lot from his personal experience, but delivers in a way that's clear and relatable to most people. Um, he was once hailed by time magazine as the funniest man in America. I like his comic style and the way he does it. He prowls on the stage. He just kind of eats up mileage going back and forth. He, he owns that thing. He emphasizes words with his shouts and he carries that sly smile, which is just infectious after 30 plus years. He's still immensely popular. You always look forward to see how he continues to reinvent himself. One of the best out there, Chris Rock, my number seven. I think Chris Rock is an inspired choice, <laughs> and I will tell you why when I talk about him in just a couple of spots. Fair enough. But who, Kirk, are you going to talk about now as your number seven? My number seven is a guy who would probably be higher on my list if he had a longer track record and hadn't taken kind of a sabbatical slash vacation slash uh, personal time in, in, in the last few years. Uh, and that's Dave Chappelle. Uh, I mentioned earlier that, that good comedians are not afraid to touch the third rail. He walks on it like a balance beam. Uh, he is a lightning rod for, for great discussion about difficult topics. Um, very observational, very frank and very funny about race. He's got a very childlike side. Uh, he'll do a whole bit on bodily secretions and giggle like a little kid, but then he'll turn around and, and, and talk about the, 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 the really race relations or, or politics uh, as astutely as, as anybody working today. Uh, he's got four Emmys, three Grammys, another Mark Twain winner. Um, and like the brilliant Mort Saul, who we mentioned a little bit earlier, he's not afraid to go on stage and just riff. Mort Saul, his act used to be he'd walk on stage with the day's newspaper, begin reading articles and start doing stories and, and making jokes about what he just just reading in the paper. Chappelle is not afraid to go on stage and talk with his audience, riff with his audience and, and see where that leads. And a lot of humor comes from that. There's not a lot of comedians that are that are comfortable doing it to the extent that he does it. Uh, which I think is just an, an incredible quality as well. Um, many of the people on my list are established, have been established for a long time. This is the one guy whose who's star is still very much ascending. He's supremely confident. He's bold. He's a great storyteller. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what else uh, he does in the next 10, 15, 20 years. Um, but my number seven is Dave Chappelle. It's a great choice. I love him, and I think I love him more than you do. <laughs> so for right now, we'll move on. Number six. Before she was on The View or The Color Purple or Sister Act, there was just young Whoopi Goldberg and her one-woman show. She's a dynamic performer. And I, I view her and Lily Tomlin very similar because they are both kind of almost 
performance artists in their comedy and there's a lot of theatrical to it and there is thought provoking stuff material that they write and they bring it out in different characters. Uh, some of Whoopi's characters on that first show that she still uses to this day include her famous Valley girl uh, character, her little old lady, her lady with a disability, the seven year old girl who wears the shirt over her head to be her long blonde locks. Um, Mike Nichols, the producer saw her show at a small club once and was so impressed by it. Uh, he said he met her after the stage and uh, he said that, Hey, we should uh, do something about this. We should do your show together. And she said, Oh yeah, that'd be great. Well then he called three months later and before she knew it, she was at the Lyceum theater on Broadway uh, doing her show for the big time. Um, she became the closest of friends with Robin Williams and Billy Crystal, uh, and the three of them hosted uh, multiple comedy reliefs. She was also a four-time host of the Oscars. Uh, but to see Whoopi do her one-woman show is to watch real art, theatrical art. Uh, it's a real tour de force of brilliant storytelling through engaging characters that I mentioned and her sly yet wise humor. She is one of 16 entertainers to have won the EGAT. That's uh, when you win the Emmy the Grammy, the Academy Award, and the Tony Award. She's won all four of them. And she did all this through battling dyslexia, and she suffered from chronic migraines for almost 40 years. But none of that diminished her or her truly dynamic talent as a standard performer. And so Whoopi Goldberg, my number six. I love Whoopi. Always have. Early on for me, she was an acquired taste. Uh, I wasn't crazy about her style. And then when I heard that she was joining me too, you know, Star Trek, the next generation, I'm like, are you kidding me? This is, Oh my God. And then she was on the show. Absolutely. Won me over the comic relief stuff continued to build with me. So yeah, I, I, I adore Whoopi. I think she's terrific. Again, I'm going to go back to, I think she's better known for many more things than the standup. I, I, you know, the one woman show is terrific, but I, I don't really recall or have a recollection of, of, uh, you know, her going on the road and doing standup and, and, and uh, that, you know, filling that criteria, but absolutely one of the funniest people on the planet. Uh, very thoughtful. Uh, love what she's doing on the view as well and i think she's a she's a great choice yeah she um she has done lots of regular stand-up and she's quite good at it uh and there are clips available uh to see it but um yeah yeah, you mentioned the uh star trek thing uh spoiler alert we'll be seeing her as her character again Mm -hmm. on picard she was personally invited by patrick stewart (laughs) to be on to which i believe she is accepting so can't we will see wait guinan yeah (laughs) <laughs> all right. Who's your number six, big guy? My number six, uh, with all of the pontificating I've been doing about comedians being dangerous and touching the third rail and being stand-up philosophers, uh, my number six is the exception that proves the rule, and that is Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry is the old-school comic for a modern day um he is, you know, his is observational comedy and he's standing on the shoulders of guys like Robert Klein and David Brenner, uh, carefully taking apart everyday life and looking at the, the absurdities and the irregularities of it as well. He has a style that is, that is, you know, absolutely definable. It, he is clean, very precise in how he uses his language. Um, and he finds a way of making his material appeal to the broadest 
amount of people possible. He's he's not a political guy. He's not talking about race relations. He's not talking about inequities. He's talking about everyday life. He's talking about mom, dad, the two kids, cat, dog, taking a vacation two weeks out of the year. He's that guy. Um, and he encourages people to come along and say, hey, I, I've got some things I think are kind of absurd and odd, and I want you to come along with me and enjoy the ride. And people do. And he's another one of those comedians that has been able to take the leap into the big theaters, whether it's a residency at, at uh, um, Caesars in Vegas, whether it's doing a, a, a big theater tour, that which his last few tours have been. Um, and essentially, the show was an outgrowing of his comedy. They really just took the show and, and his act, if you want to call it an act about nothing, like the show is a show about nothing, uh, was very reflective of how he thought about things. And, and again, the humor and the absurdity of everyday life. Uh, he is terrific. He's still working. He's still getting it done. He's still very funny. Uh, he's my number six, and that's Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, I love Jerry. I cannot figure out why you had him all the way down on number six. So um, let's move on. Number five. My number five is a guy you may have heard of, and that is Jerry Seinfeld. All the way down at number six. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Gloves are off. Gloves are off. We're going to get a little E next to the uh, description of the podcast and Apple podcast now. Uh, everything you said, uh, his comedy was the source for that uh, TV show. And there's good reason because it's darn good comedy. It's, it's not like everybody else. It's those observations of everyday life that we have and looking at the small things and really dissecting them and putting his own personal uh, slant and spin on them. Uh, it's, it's great stuff. He's still amazingly popular, as you mentioned in the third act of his standup career. Uh, like many of the other comics, he opened up small clubs, uh, you know, open mic nights. Uh, he was on Rodney Dangerfield HBO special, which was one of his first breaks. And then in 1981 had a hugely successful appearance on the tonight show with Carson and also on the smother brothers hour that year, uh, has made many appearances on Carson and Letterman. Uh, and he had his first one hour special stand up confidential on HBO in 1987. It's got that style that we all recognize. It's, it's that cadence of how he talks, which is almost as famous as what he's saying. It's, it's his delivery, uh, which is very unique to him. Um, and, uh, he gives credit to influences, uh, in his life, uh, of Richard Pryor, George Carlin, Bill Cosby, Don Rickles, some of the giants of the industry. Uh, and then he himself has influenced a lot of the new up and coming giants, such as John Mulaney, Jim Gaffigan, Judd Apatow, Ellen DeGeneres, uh, Steve Martin called Jerry, his retro hero. He's a guy who came up behind me, meaning Steve and is better than I am. He's fantastic, and I love to listen to him, and I do as often as I can. Pretty high praise. Uh, so everything you said, plus a few more things that I said, Jerry Seinfeld, my number five. Great minds thinking alike. Yeah, he's 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 not at the top of the list, but, man, he, he sure is close to Mount Rushmore. Yeah, uh, I, I dare you. To, I mean, if you like comedy, I dare you not to have a good time at a, at a Seinfeld show. So let's move on. Since uh, Seinfeld was our six and our five, respectively, who is your number five? My number five is somebody you have already mentioned. Uh, I bumped him up a couple of places from your number seven, and that's Chris Rock. To your point, I think he works and owns a crowd better 
or as well as anybody ever has. Uh, I like that you called out that he prowls the stage and he works the stage. He's got a presence. He's got an energy. He's got that rhythm. He's got that cadence. Uh, But that takes nothing away from the material. Three of his four albums have won the Grammy for best comedy album. I mean, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Uh, And then after a long period of, you know, these outrageous comics, these kinds of almost shock comics, Chris Rock brought social commentary back to comedy and really made you think about a lot of things. But he he also challenges people to look at things a little differently uh, to help rethink the status quo or the argument. One of my favorite bits of his is where he says gun control. How about bullet control? (laughs) Uh, You know, and it's, and it's a way of addressing the gun controversy without just wading right into it. He makes you think about, yeah, what if he did control bullets? And it's just another way of approaching the argument that makes it a little bit more palatable and, and helps people think about it in a little different way. Uh, he is funny. Again, he's not one of these guys who's going to shy away from, from difficult or controversial topics. He, he's, he's very outspoken on race in America. He's still working today. He's still as funny as ever. Um, he has eclipsed his mentor, Eddie Murphy, in a big way, in my opinion. And what's still funny to me is Chris Rock still looks like a 17-year-old kid. I know. So it's still just really funny to hear this, this young kid get out there saying all this wise material. And and it 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 helps soften the blow of some of the tougher stuff that he that he talks about. I think he's I think he's brilliant. I look forward to every new thing that he releases. Kind of like I look forward to the new Giant Hyatt musical album. I look forward to the new Chris Rock HBO special. So Chris Rock's my number five. Yeah, immensely funny guy. Uh, one of the best pick me ups I can ever have if I'm just a little down in the dumps. I watch his fake PSA that he did. Um, for uh, the Chris Rock show called How Not to Get Your Ass Kicked by the Police. Uh, it is brilliant. It is hilarious. It's just so well done. Uh, look it up on YouTube, folks. <laughs> the one line of his that, that our friends John, Doug, and I throw around is he says, there ain't no test for being a daddy, but if your daughter's on the pole, you done failed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great stuff. Love Chris Rock. All right. Great choice. Um, Let's move on to our Mount Rushmore's. And that starts with my number four. My number four is somebody else you mentioned. I told you I thought of him a little higher than you did. And not much, but I do. And that's Dave Chappelle. Uh, As you kind of said, I agree. He's possibly the leader for modern comedy. Uh, He is still a rising star. And that's even after he took a long reflective break uh, from the industry to kind of... uh, recharge himself. He specializes in that observational uh, humor. Uh, He's got surreal humor while mixing in good portions of satire and sketch. And as you said, he can get very childlike sometimes, and it's just a lot of fun. He's very engaging and he sucks you in as an audience. You feel that you are there with him going along with the ride. Uh, His views on race relations, politics, sexuality, drug use, and current events are very edgy, but thought provoking. And he kind of turns a mirror onto the rest of us. Uh, his standup led to a sketch comedy on his Chappelle show, which he eventually walked away from. And that's the, the infamous, uh, he walked away from $50 million articles that you would read after a long stay in South Africa. He was able to become more in his words, more well-rounded and well-balanced and ready to take on the entertainment industry again, which he doesn't have high esteem for. Uh, and he returned to stand up, which is his first love, uh, with his shows, Dave takes you on the journey of whatever is 
caught his attention recently and where it, you know, it seems like it's very off the cuff. He has obviously put a lot of thought on it and it's made him inspired enough to do shows about it. Um, he may be playful. Uh, he uh, may be heavier in mood sometimes, but he's always intelligent, humorous, insightful. I love him. Dave Chappelle. Great choice. And and again, I, I think we both agree that that if we were to do this list in 10, 15, 20 years, he would be much higher. You know, granted, if he doesn't take another sabbatical again, yeah. but if he continues to do the work that he's been doing, I think he's he's much higher. And I think he can really leave a mark uh, on the industry more, more than he already has. Concur. Who's your number four choice? My number four, my first, uh, my first comic on, on Mount Rushmore is the guy who will make fun of all the other comics that I'm going to put on my Mount Rushmore. And that is Mr. Warmth, (laughs) Don Rickles, nobody. And I mean, nobody has done insult comedy earlier, better, or ever will do it better than Don Rickles. He was an absolute machine. Uh, he takes no prisoners, shredded everybody in the room at every Dean Martin celebrity roast you, you've ever watched. Uh, his days of stand-up go back to the clubs in Vegas. He regularly killed it on the on the Carson show. But he also had a way of doing it where you didn't want to absolutely throttle him after he was done. It, it was like being insulted by your favorite uncle. Um, he would take no prisoners, as I mentioned. He would be he would go after everybody in the room. Um, and he was one of the first guys that had no problem uh, getting into the racial stuff a little bit, um, making jokes about, you know, Sammy Davis or or his Jewish friends or 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 Puerto Ricans or, or whatever it may be. But is always done with restraint and love. And and it was funny. It was never hurtful. It was funny. Um, he set the table for guys like Jeff Ross, who hosts all of those Comedy Central roasts now. Um, but nobody is ever going to measure up to to uh, Mr. Warmth. So Don Rickles is my number four. Yeah, definitely uh, the best at what he did, no doubt. Um, I'm just not a huge fan of the insult comedy world, uh, but uh, he is the king, no doubt. And what separates him from people like Joan Rivers, uh, because I think Joan is just a lot of times just petty and pure mean sometimes mean. Yeah, I agree where Don is exactly as you, as you described him. Uh, and so that's what separates it. So, uh, and, and that to me is the genius of Rickles. Yeah. Is that, is that he did all of this, but never crossed that line. Yes. There's a lot of people who do insult comedy and a lot of the lines are always followed, followed with, Ooh, Ooh, kind of thing. Rickles came up to that line, but never crossed it. You know, people almost found it a a, a badge of honor to to get hacked by by uh, by Don Rickles. Whereas to your point, the Joan Rivers of the world or the Doug Stanhopes, you know, that just gets into the mean. Oh, very much so. Mean type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Go go look at two old Carson clips. There's one with him and Frank Sinatra on Carson together, which is brilliant because he and Frank are old time friends. Uh, and then there's one where he and uh, Dom DeLuise are both on at uh, the same time. And that's hilarious. Uh, it's great stuff. Good choice. Let's move on. Number three. My number three is somebody who could have easily been number two and probably number one on a lot of lists. Uh, these top three are, are tough to separate. But that is Richard Pryor. 
born in 1940 in Peoria, Illinois, but arguably one of the most popular guys on both coasts. <laughs> he played to coasts very well. Didn't seem like a Midwestern guy by any means. And arguably one of the most influential comics ever, period. He turned his traumatic childhood into a comedic force for the ages. He started at New York City clubs uh, alongside people like Bob Dylan and Woody Allen performing at the same time. He got uh, gigs on the Ed Sullivan show, Carson, and had a very successful run in Vegas, uh, which he did not like. He couldn't wait to get out of Vegas and get back to New York where he thought the real people were. He was inspired by Bill Cosby. Uh, and while he started out less controversial, that all changed in 1967. <laughs> he decided to make the conscious choice of moving profanity and race into a much larger part of his stand-up routine, and he never looked back. He has observations of life, people, religion, anything that would add controversy and get people talking, he loved more, and he would just hit it harder. Uh, he wrote for TV, uh, like the Flip Wilson show, and films like Blazing Saddles that he co-wrote with Mel Brooks. Uh, but he, even with his writing, he'd always return to stage. He kept doing stand-up throughout almost his entire life. His drug abuse is well-documented. We all know that. Uh, but his legacy shows in what his peers, I think, thought about him. Uh, Bob Newhart once said he's the seminal comedian of the last 50 years. Jerry Seinfeld called him the Picasso of our profession. Dave Chappelle said that on the evolution chart, Richard was the guy, he was the one walking upright. <laughs> And I think that pretty much says of where Pryor falls in the line of comedians. Highly regarded. If you've seen any of his material, you just want to see more. And I think that's the greatest testament you can pay to a comedian. Richard Pryor, my number three. Very well said. Uh, I'll add a couple more things when I talk about him in his proper spot in just a couple of moments. <laughs> well, so since he's not your number three, who is? My number three is a guy who I know you have much higher and I knew you would when I put him here. He is, he is the grateful dead of comedy. No two shows were ever quite the same for the brilliant Robin Williams. Uh, he was a live wire. Uh, this guy was a great obs observational comedian, a great improvisational comedian, a great physical comedian, a great surreal comedian. And, and for me, part of his appeal was just seeing how long I could keep up with him. You never knew he was going to go. Um, he could jump from being a whirling dervish to an emotional storyteller to a brilliant improvisational comedian, all in the span of the same joke or the same bit. He was a fascinating guy to watch, not just to hear what he had to say, but just watch how he went about his act and, and how he went about doing things. There was nothing dishonest about him. He was unbelievably earnest. And he had this, this impish personality that made all of his commentary, and he did have some good social commentary, made all of that commentary go down with a spoonful of sugar. Uh, you know, what, what's that great line? Uh, Cocaine is God's way of telling you you have too much money. <laughs> I mean, that that's a great observation, but you laugh. It's funny. From coming from a guy you know had a cocaine issue, it it is it is wise counsel. You know, his his peers obviously recognized him. He has an Oscar, he's got an Emmy, he's got a Grammy. He is still missed today. What he was able to do, not only on stage, not only on the HBO specials, which, you know, the one that you and I watched back in the day, you know, that great one where he runs into the back of the room and he looks at the front and says, how does it feel to have the crappy seats now? <laughs> I mean, that's stuff we hadn't seen, you know, ever before. Um, I miss Robin Williams. I, I, I still think he'd be giving us great counsel and a lot of laughs today. Um, and, and I'm so glad that we had the chance to see him in his heyday. Uh, but I've got Robin Williams at number three. 
and you will have them much higher. Yes, I will. <laughs> but like I said, it's it's tough up here in the in the rarefied air of the of the top three, top four. It's it's hard. Uh, great choice, obviously. Moving on to number two. My number two is also one of those guys who could almost slot anywhere in the top three, as we said before. This is the guy that's known as the Dean of Countercultural Comedians, and that is the famous George Carlin. Uh, passed away in 2008 due to heart failure. Uh, a lot of these comedians die way too young, man. Um, he was known for his dark comedy and his observations on politics and religion and psychology and taboo subjects. But probably his favorite play toy was just the English language and putting an inflection on words. And what if the word means this, why do we act like this? I mean, uh, he just a brilliant, brilliant man. Um, like most, started in small clubs, but he had 14 comedy specials on HBO starting back in 1977. That's 14. Uh, he hosted the first Saturday Night Live uh, and uh, opted to not do any sketches. He just did stand-up. And then when he appeared later on SNL, he then said, yeah, sure, I'll do sketches. Uh, he made um, 20 original comedy albums, which is a ton. His comedy could go into art performance, um, much like his friend Lily Tomlin. But he was usually stayed on the stage with his observations about life and the human condition. He loved to incorporate his characters like Al Sleet, the hippie dippy weatherman, or stupid disc jockeys, etc., He's legendary for his bits like Seven Dirty Words uh, and A Place for My Stuff. Uh, in 1973, uh, broadcasters started using the quote-unquote Carlin warning to remind performers of what they could and could not say on the air. He was ranked by Comedy Central as number two on the 10 American Comedians list. Uh, he was ranked by Rolling Stone as number two on the 50 best stand-ups of all time. Influenced by Danny Kaye, Lenny Bruce, Jonathan Winters, and Richard Pryor. And he himself influenced guys like Bill Burr, Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, Louis C.K., Louis Black, John Stewart, and Mitch Hedberg. So uh, one of the grandfathers of uh, comedy for sure. It was a different cat, but he intended to be that way. And that's what we loved about. We loved the stories. We loved his look at life. George Carlin. And I'll add a few more tidbits in just a minute when I talk about him in his proper location. <laughs> So uh, your number two, I'm going to guess who it is, but I'll let you say it. Who is your number two? My number two is your number three, and that is Richard Pryor. The guy was a genius. Um, he was, he had that rare quality to be able to put the audience at ease, no matter how difficult the subject matter. And the subject matter could be very difficult when, when seeing a Pryor show, because odds are he was talking about something that had happened to him. Whether it was his adventures in freebasing cocaine, whether it was his very difficult childhood, whether it was his 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 difficulties with race, um, you, you mentioned it. You know, he he liked George Carlin. Um, started out very straight laced, middle of the road, just trying to be that stand up comedian that that the sixties that defined the sixties. But also like Carlin, he stepped back for a little bit. Moved to Berkeley, actually, Berkeley, California. And that's where he really began to embrace the the persona and the the comedian that we know today. The one that wasn't afraid to get out there in front of difficult issues and talk about himself and talk about different uh you know challenges and struggles that he was going through, uh, whether it's personal or whether it was on a, a national basis as well. Uh, when the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor was created in 1998, Pryor was the first person to be honored with it. And I think that speaks volumes about what his peers thought and how he was 
one of the strongest set of shoulders that a lot of people have stood on since then. Uh, he is funny. He is thoughtful. Uh, he is another one that was taken from us far too soon. Um, I think he still had a lot to say, but what he left us with was was absolutely thought-provoking and very, very funny. If you haven't seen Richard Pryor live on the Sunset Strip, you owe yourself a treat. Uh, Richard Pryor is my number two. Great choice. Love, love me some Richard Pryor. Well, let's move on to our number ones, but before we do, let's quickly recap our 10 through twos. My number 10 was Gary Shandling, followed by Steve Martin at nine. Uh, Phyllis Diller occupied number eight as the first woman stand-up comic. Chris Rock at number seven. Number six, Whoopi Goldberg, the other female on my list. Jerry Seinfeld was number five. Number four, Dave Chappelle. Number three, Richard Pryor. George Carlin was my number two. Kirk, who are yours? At 11, I had about 55 people. (laughs) At 10, I had the great Eddie Murphy. Number nine was Steve Martin. Number eight was Lily Tomlin. Dave Chappelle was my number seven. Jerry Seinfeld was uh, the king of the castle at number six. Chris Rock, number five. Uh, My Mount Rushmore begins with Don Rickles, continues with Robin Williams at number three, Richard Pryor at number two. And that brings us to number one. Well, as you so accurately predicted, there could be nobody else on my list but Robin Williams as my number one. I even tried to question it, but you know, I, I just can't. He is that dynamo performer that comes around once in a lifetime. He was trained at Juilliard <laughs> on the East Coast by and got into the prestigious acting academy with John Houseman within Juilliard. He's that multi-dimensional performer. Uh, he's known for films also like Goodwill Hunting, Dead Poet Society, Mrs. Doubtfire, Good Morning Vietnam, uh, Aladdin. But it was his sitcom career that really defined him. He was like nobody else. The 70s and 80s were Robin Williams territory. Uh, He became the magic or the manic king of comedy. He had some stock bits, but improv was a huge part of his thing, whether it involved prop humor, whatever. But it was just somehow all woven together with short bursts of infectious zany. Usually he tried to work in a very touching, poignant moment at the end as well, which was his little bit of theater and was always very touching and really hit home. Uh, He's a master of commanding his audience. Uh, He could hold a mic, but he was always better without it. If he just had his little Pell mic, which would allow him to go crazy. Uh, As you mentioned, he would go to the back of the house sometimes. He'd pick up uh, people's cameras out of the front row. Anything was fair game with him, and he loved it. He played small houses. He played the Metropolitan Opera House in New York. He was equally home anywhere. He was one of Carson's favorite guests. Uh, Johnny would say with Robin, I only need to ask him one question and he, he'd do the rest. <laughs> His close friend, Billy Crystal referred to him as the brightest star in our comedy galaxy after uh, Robin's tragic death. We've never seen anybody like Robin before or since. Uh, I think he was just a star that is extinguished too soon. And the human dynamo, Robin Williams is my number one. Such a great choice. And and again, you know, I, in doing my research, I, I, I left out a, a quote from David Letterman. He said, you know, when he saw him appear at the comedy store here in L.A., he said, quote, he came in like a hurricane. And then he said he thought to himself, holy crap, there goes any chance I have in show business <laughs> after seeing Robin perform. Uh, he was just that dynamic. Hey, let me ask you a question. Um, 
I mean, you, you, you glommed on to Robin Williams very early. Yeah. Do you feel like you, you kind of mm-hmm. discovered him? Not, not, you know, not for the world, but you know, he was kind of like, Oh my God, nobody else knows about this guy. I love this guy. Yeah. I, I think, I think I knew about him before most, at least most of my friends or the people that I talked about. And, um, but do you feel like you got on early with him? Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and I think that helps. And the, the reason I, I want to bridge to that is my number one, who obviously is George Carlin. Um, I remember seeing him. I want to say it was either on the Flip Wilson show. And I remember him just mesmerizing me. He did the hippy dippy weatherman, which I thought was very funny. He did that great routine of baseball versus football. Mm hmm where he talks about how baseball is a very pastoral. You play on a diamond at football. You play on a gridiron, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Um, and then he also did the oxymorons, you know, jumbo shrimp, military intelligence. And I just, that kind of stuff blew my little, you know, 11 year old mind. And I always thought that Carlin was just the funniest guy. And I, and I, I feel like I discovered him and, and I, I got on, on board very early. And I think that's what kind of pushed him to the top for me. But, you know, in, in finding out more about Carlin, though, if Lenny Bruce blazed the trail, I think Carlin paved it and made it a four-lane highway. After his metamorphosis, because, again, he had a great career. He was making a million dollars a year playing clubs in Vegas, very straight-laced, skinny tie in the 60s. He had it all, and he walked away from it. He got into the counterculture, and he wanted to be heard and his ideas to get out there. He was absolutely brilliant. And while his material could shock you, it was never the intent to shock you, but it was to get you to think. I mean, he mastered observational humor. He he mastered rant humor, political humor. And we still quote his routines today, whether it is baseball versus football, whether it's the seven dirty words. I mean, that went all the way to the Supreme Court. Um, He's always done little things like a little bit of TV, a little bit of movies, but he's always been a pure stand-up. And I think that's something else that pushed him to the top as well, is that that if you'd have taken everything else away, I think he would have been happy if he could still do stand-up, even for five people to get his ideas out and and try and get his his truths across. Uh, I thought he was brilliant. I thought he was funny. It, it did disappoint me in his later years where he seemed to be a little bit more of the get off my lawn, you kids, old man. And it was it was a little bit more angry, but man, those early years, even into the early you know early part of the the of this century, nobody to me was funnier or more thoughtful than George Carlin. Yeah, well said. And I forgive him for the as you said the getting angrier. And he's even or he even talked about that. And he said there's just so much more to be angry about nowadays. And so I give him a little bit of a pass because uh, I agree. <laughs> Great truth. Great truth. Yeah, I just loved his command of the English language and talking about the English language. You gave some great examples. I always remember the one where he's talking about just the real use of words and saying at the airport, they say, well, everybody, please get on the plane now. And he'd say, F you, let evil Knievel get on the plane. I'm going to get in the plane. <laughs> it's just things like that that you just yeah. remember. Why do for. they call it the airport yeah. terminal? <laughs> <laughs> great, great, great stuff. All right. Well, those are uh, those are fun lists. Um, let's go to Unlisted, the sequel. Uh, who were some of the guys uh, who made your honorable mention who just missed the list? We, we've talked about some of them. Yeah, uh, it, just a couple more. I, I really, 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 really wanted to try and find a place for Bob Newhart. Thank you. On yeah. this list. 
Um, you know, again, another pioneer of, of comedy, um, that unique style of the one-sided telephone conversation that was very, very funny. Um, you know, I, I think an argument could be made uh, for the team of, of Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks. I mean, the 2,000-year-old man is still one of the funniest bits ever. And, and, you know, they updated it throughout the years. I just don't know if I could call them stand-up comedians as opposed to funny people, like we talked yeah. about at the beginning of the show. Um, and another one I really tried to find uh, a way on for the list, uh, onto the list. Um, cause I just find some of his observations hilarious is Stephen Wright, you know, his one line deadpan delivery, you know, but there are just some, you go, that's hilarious. And you think about it for a long, long, time uh so those are some of the names that that you know i also batted batted about as i was putting my list together you yeah you're you're dead on uh bob newhart's at the top of my list for that also uh if eddie murphy finished 11th on my list newhart was 12 um uh, mort saul who you mentioned before uh definitely in there uh stephen wright absolutely along with eddie murphy uh stephen wright the reason he stayed off is because he's a little more hit and miss and the audience warms up to him as they start to catch on to what he's doing. So by the end of his set, you're just dying. And he just in his deadpan delivery. Uh, Lily Tomlin, we talked about. And then Wanda Sykes was another female that uh, yeah. I also uh, like like watching her stuff. Yeah, I love your choices of Phyllis Diller, Whoopi Goldberg. You know, if, if longevity also had been a, a criteria here, you know, Mort Saul is still doing his act in Marin County today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he was doing like a public access TV for yeah. a little while or something equivalent yeah. to that for, yeah. Um, good list. That's great. Nice job. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, and when we come back, we will have, uh, the guest list with, uh, today's guest and we'll talk a little more about comedy and get their perspective. Awesome. See you soon. Okay, show of hands. Do you stick around for the credits at the end of a movie or a TV show? You might, but most folks don't. And even then, you might not be familiar with half the jobs on there. My name is Bruce Rand Berman. When I came out to L.A. a while back, I found there was a lot more to this industry than I realized. With the help of some great friends and mentors along the way, I've been able to chart my course to where I am today, an experienced television producer doing a podcast about all the different jobs there are in Hollywood and how to get them. So check out Call Time on your favorite podcast platform. You'll hear all about the industry straight from the mouths of the real people who work hard every day and night in the trenches on set and in the office. Yeah, this is my podcast, but it's your call time. Don't be late. Hello. Wait, what? You haven't heard the new podcast, Mojo Girl Madness? Good news. Season one is now available for binging. Mojo Girl Madness is a mad pod with interviews, rants, and stories about sex, relationships, family, divorce, politics, showbiz, and mostly your mojo. Find Mojo Girl Madness wherever you get your pods or at mojogirlmadness.com. And now, back to the main event. Love you madly. And we are back for the guest list. And today, our guest, as his wife Teresa put it, oh no, he's not famous. 
he's just super successful. It's comedian Steve Bruner. Steve has uh, written for Fox Television uh, on the series Haywire, as well as Totally Hidden Video and Comic Strip Live, and provided material for The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. He was a writer, uh, producer for a long-running play in Pasadena, The Fatherhood. On his performance trail, he's been to 49 states and 79 countries, playing comedy clubs, corporate events, colleges, and more than a few cruises. You've probably seen him on one of his many videos online called Bruner Breaks, or seen him on his viral YouTube spots from 2019's Dry Bar headline comedy special, Simply Put, and Wife Hunting. And as we just said, here he is, our friend, Steve Bruner. Hey, Steve, welcome. Hey, Steve. Hey, hey, hey guys. And thanks a lot for bragging on me like that, Steve. Oh, I appreciate easy it. Easy to do. Now, Steve, <laughs> the first question obviously has to be, which state haven't you visited? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's uh, South Dakota. South Dakota. I had a little run that it, everything I was trying to get to South Dakota did not work out no matter what I did. And... uh I think they have maybe four gigs a year, and I've so far I've missed them all. And I guess the the thing is, how many people assumed that it would be Alaska? <laughs> yeah, no, nope. I've been to Alaska a number of times, and the touring life uh, is w w exciting when uh, Teresa can go or when I have something to do. But uh, I guess it gets more weary as I'm good at it. I'm good at traveling out of a bag and and being funny to strangers, but, um, sometimes it's a little, uh, I, I was shot at in Chile the last time I was there, not because of my act. Thank goodness. <laughs> There's a civil uprising that I got in the middle of comedy can be a very tough business. Very rough, very rough. <laughs> <laughs> the way I do it. Not hey, a pretty sport. Here's a question though. Uh, a lot of people don't realize exactly how tough it is to break into you know, comedy. And one of the things when we were talking about our list is how many, you know, the, the common denominator is they all started in open mic nights and small clubs, you know, um, and the stories that I've heard from comedians is, you know, trying to find that mic time, that stage time. And sometimes it can get a little competitive. Sometimes it's for no pay or a little pay or whatever. How was your experience and how tough is it? <laughs> Well, I certainly can't speak for today, um, and I get a lot of mic time uh, because I have a lot of friends that run things. But And I started in San Francisco in the 89, 88, 89, uh, actually 87, and uh, now that I'm doing <laughs> the math. And there were so many clubs, and they wanted people. If you didn't mind going up 33rd, uh, you could get mic time. You could get five minutes at the Holy City Zoo or the other cafe. And um, and then when I moved to L.A., it did get a little more competitive. Howie Mandel says he never did an open mic. He 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 just went up one time and they saw him and it it skyrocketed from there. But that's, I think, unusual. I knew some young comedians who would complain because they were just getting ready to go on. They'd been waiting all night and all of a sudden Robin Williams oh. would show up or... Jerry Seinfeld or somebody. And of course the owners like step right up and yep. then they'd go in and they'd break in new material and they would take the next five people's time, you know, off of stage, if not more. I, I saw people do, do hours uh, at five minute mics. And, uh, I was never really good at that when, I mean, I, I don't have a big name, but a couple people said, Hey, how much time do you want to do? And all that. 
uh, I would just try to be practicing my not because I'm better than somebody else. They had they had bigger things to to practice. But when I started, San Francisco was a welcoming basket, a cocoon where they they made sure there was a guy named John Cantu who gave me my first twelve dollars and twenty cents in comedy, <laughs> and and he said get up on stage for a half hour and don't come off until we're done. And it's probably because he didn't he was going to scour more comics for the rest of the show. <laughs> it, it, it was a wonderful group that I started with. Uh, but no, I wouldn't, I think starting now it's harder in, in many ways. Uh, although you don't need, I think as much of a reputation, you can be funny on YouTube and, and be found that way. I think it's the same with music. You can reach a lot more people. You just sort of had to, back then there were 800 comedy clubs and you, I always said you just needed a car that was faster than your reputation <laughs> and uh, if you were bad. And so she just kept driving to club to club. They needed, you know, they, they needed uh, three comics a week. And, and I did uh, so much road time in those early years. And then I was offered, um, uh, uh, somebody saw me in Las Vegas. I was offered some cruises. And those kind of changed a lot because you're booked a year in advance and you could fill up uh, four months of your year and the pay was better. And you had to be clean, which I already was, so I didn't have to change anything. And, and then corporates came and uh, I, I've, had a, I've had just a very lucky, a lucky time. There were hard times. Believe I slept in my car, <laughs> but not for very long. Right, right. That's great. Hey, Steve, I want, I want to focus on, on another aspect of your career, the writing part of it. Uh, you know, Steve had mentioned that, that you wrote for the Tonight Show. Okay, I mean that sounds like a pretty good gig. And you know, I'm I'm thinking I'm I'm you know I'm a pretty good writer. I write some funny stuff. How would you know? How does somebody go about getting a job writing for the Tonight Show? Connect those dots. Well, I would love to say that I was a writer for the Tonight Show, but I tried to parse words very carefully. I provided material for them when mm -hmm. Jay. Uh, ran Big Dog for Jay, like I'm on a first name basis with, uh, you know, <laughs> Mr. Jay Leno. Uh, um, he he ran Big Dog Productions. And when he was a guest host, <clears throat> when he was a guest host, he wanted a lot of uh, material to go through and to kind of shine. And he had his own guys uh, that, that kind of ran it. But about 20 of us, 25, um, uh, basically uh, could fax stuff in. Uh, a partner of mine, I had an opportunity from the Byron Allen show. They saw me and they said, hey, do you want to write some material? And I faxed in uh, a guy named Jim Farrell, one of the funniest people alive. Um, and he'd be on my list if it was favorites. But it, it, he and I wrote like 400 jokes every other day and faxed them in. And they just thought we were a machine and they didn't have to pay us as as staff writers when we were doing that and we'd sell, sell like 20 jokes at 50 bucks a piece. And it was a, it was a great deal. So I never got on, on staff. Right. So I don't know how to connect those dots for anybody, <laughs> but I was still able to do my, my ships and my clubs and my colleges and write material and fax it in. So I kind of had the best of performance. And anyway, that's, that's how I did it. I mean, that's still pretty good insight. I mean, you know, I, I don't know that a lot of people know that, that, you know, it's not just Jay sitting in his office after the show going, okay, I got to write tomorrow's monologue <laughs> that he has not only a staff, but there's, there's a whole freelance 
support network there is where, where yeah. you know stuff is coming in and it you know and that's how that's how the the sausage is made ultimately it, exactly and it ends up being a pretty sausage because he has a good eye and the the staff writers look over the 20 pounds of fax paper that comes in and they're able to kind of circle a joke and say oh this is a great idea pay this guy for this idea we'll tie it into five other ideas that you know i I think the biggest sale we ever made was on in 91, 92, when Mount Pinatubo erupted. We had like, we had 50 jokes on Mount Pinatubo and he did 20 of them and uh, he didn't pay us. And, and Jim called up and when Jay said, Oh, Hey, I'm sorry. I, I, they told me they wrote them and, and, and Jim hung up on him. Because he thought it was one of our friends doing an impression <laughs> of Jay Leno. <laughs> it took Jay three times to get through to say, "No, this is really Jay Leno. Come on, I want to find out what the you know." And uh, and we had written jokes that day, and Jim just read them off, and he goes, "Oh yeah, you guys are pretty good. You're pretty good. I'll do some of those tonight. I will. Don't worry." And he paid us, and he's a he's a great guy. I mean, he he was a policeman when people stole material, and he. And he, yeah, he, he was good people and he had to go through a lot of material. Yeah. Do you have an af- affinity towards the modern, uh, guys, uh, some of the guys you mentioned, uh, the Dave Chappelle's, the Bill Burr's, or do you like the old guys or do you appreciate the, the old, because that's where things came from and like where it's transitioned to. That, that's a g- fantastic question. It's as if we set it up. I love the old guys when people would dress up like they were going to a jazz uh, night and they'd be in a suit and tie yeah. and they'd set up a premise. The The guy on stage, uh, the Shelley Bermans, the Bob Newharts and the Mort Sauls would set up a premise. And this is way before my time. They'd set up a premise and the audience would wait until the joke started coming. And and Bill Cosby had a, a, a great bunch of this and George, early George Carlin and it was just a different vibe and then became kind of a fast food comedy where you needed it quick and it needed to be right away with the star search being on two and a half minutes. You had two and a half minutes to hit a home run. So you had to do a lot of swings to get that ball out of the park. And um, and the same thing with America's Got Talent. Those are all one liner guys that just not you can't sit there and go, when I was seven, my mother said to me and wait a whole minute right. before the first big punchline. So uh, I I like the old stuff, but I I also see some things that are on television. And I go, wow, that that that's interesting that they got a show. I, I don't laugh at some of the subject matter or whatever, but you know, I'm a middle-aged white, mm-hmm. you know, suburban <laughs> guy that, that uh, I, I may not have the same perspective that everybody else does. I, Steve and I were talking, I, I grew up in a bubble. This was, <laughs> I have not had a hard life for, for, for most of it. So I got to talk about sweet, nice, happy parents together and, and love my dog and all that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> Hey Steve, when it comes to comedy, is there a line? Um, you just don't want to cross. Well, is it different for each person? Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's in, in man, it's, it's really like Kirk's reading my diary or whatever, because, um, I was, I looked at this thing that you, you threw me into this, this grinder that you threw me into <laughs> a, as a, like a term paper. And there's a guy, Mike Ward in Canada that's still fighting 
a joke he told. He's being sued from 2011. And it's almost like I, I think everybody has the right to offend. Uh, I try not to, but it's it's we're still testing the legal limits of acceptable speech. And um, I, I read recently it's like a debate as to what speech is harmful versus what speech is humorous. And I, I, I'm light. I, I, I'm as edgy as a bowling ball. I'm, <laughs> I want to be a vacation. I don't want somebody, I don't want somebody after my show to go, man, that my head hurts. He's, he's got so much, man, you're right down with the man. And no, <laughs> I am. I want them to come off and go, Oh, that was funny. All right. What do you, what beer do you want? You know? And, um, <laughs> that freedom of expression versus freedom of suppression is, like it's it's not something I worry about, but it's still out there. And um, I don't know if there's a line. The, the line for me is when they stop laughing and some people are so objectionable that they just didn't find the right audience. The next night they kill because they're a little over the edge. That's what people want to see. Yeah. Down with the man. Hey, wait, wait, wait a minute. I am the man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, well, all right. I'll, I, we'll, we'll take your word for it there, Kirk. <laughs> and I think in every generation you've seen those guys who have pushed it to the limit. And so I think you'll always have them, but you know, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I, I'm not, yeah. I'm not on that side of the spectrum, but I'm glad it's there. I mean, you know, we're, we're not too lists yet, but part of the reason I put uh, Lenny Bruce, you know, near the top of, uh, of, of who I thought is because uh, one of my, reasons is did they break down a door for somebody else to walk through in one way or another and and i'm not breaking down any doors but i definitely get to swing through because of these people that 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 were there before me and uh, it's easier for me i think than than people that are coming in and norms are going to change we might swing back to a victorian era where you can't say you know, uh, certain language or something mm -hmm. like that. And all right, there'll be funny people for that too. I might fit cause I, I don't swear, but <laughs> I, I, I innuendo all over the place. <laughs> so, well, you've kind of alluded to your list. Yeah. Let's start to get into that. And you, you also, when we were talking just before you came on, um, you're talking about the criteria that you had because it was kind of a thesis project. So yeah. what did you use as your criteria? Well, well, thanks. I uh, well, what, my little process uh, because I didn't want to let Steve down after knowing him forty <laughs> years, and uh, is is I made a list first. Uh, I just made a list of people that I thought were super valuable to me, and so I went online and went, oh yeah, I forgot about him, 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 and I just happened to be reading a book called The Great Comedians Talk About Comedy, which is a nineteen sixty eight book by a guy named Larry Wilde who interviewed comics about their generation. And almost everybody interviewed in 1968 said there's a guy named Joey Brown, Joe E. Brown, from the 30s, 40s, and 50s that was the funniest guy anybody's ever seen on stage. I'd never seen him on stage. And when I looked him up, I realized he was in Some Like It Hot. He's the guy that drives away with uh, um, with Jack Lemmon, mm -hmm. who's playing the part of a woman mm -hmm. before it became trendy. Uh, or be became whatever it is. I didn't know who he was. I've never seen him do comedy. And here are these people that I've respected throughout my life say, he's the funniest thing living. And then move forward a generation. People say, Shecky Green, if you saw Shecky Green live, you'd never think another comedian could touch. My criteria is 
more modern based a little bit um, because I just went, there's, I can't judge what I don't know. I made this huge list of 50 people. (laughs) And then I was like, how can I get these people off the damn list? So my criteria is laughter and it can't just be laughter. Otherwise you'd be comparing albums and say, who has the best laughs per minute? So laughter couldn't be the only thing because everybody's getting laughter or they wouldn't be getting paid. Then original uh, or originality I tried and I wanted them to be a phenom. Uh, they had to have an aspect of longevity or legacy, which if it left on their own, it'd just be the Bob Hope and the George Burns on your list because they lived to be a hundred. And then did they open the door for somebody else? And did they help the art or the science, whatever you think of mm-hmm. comedy? And here's what I took out. Here's my list got down to about 40. I took out props. So Gallagher and Carrot Top <laughs> and, and, and that erased Will Rogers who used a lariat. Uh, uh, it, I took yeah. out partners. Abbott and Costello couldn't be in right. there because who's on right. first is arguably one of the best uh, written things. I took out puppets. So any ventriloquist, Edgar Bergen was considered a great uh, comedian. And one of the biggest money makers was Jeff Dunham. And then mm-hmm. if you play an instrument, I took you out. And that killed Victor Borga, who has two of the best routines I've ever heard, inflationary language and phonetic punctuation. Sure. As good as a place for my stuff, as good as baseball versus football. Uh, and so, and then that also took out Steve Martin, who was my hard charging guy. How could you not put in Steve Martin? So I went, oh, oh. no, he, he plays a banjo. Thank <laughs> God, Steve. Thank you. Thanks for making it easy on me. Get out of here. <laughs> so basically, I, I narrowed it down to best stand-up comic, single voice in front of a crowd. That helped. It didn't fix everything. Okay, the long-winded answer, but I hope that helps. So let's do it. Well, now we're intrigued. What's your number 10? Uh, now, Steve emailed me, and he said that sometimes Kirk pulls like a, a tie, <laughs> and he gets an extra number in there. He's been known to do this. And so I want I wanted to be able to – there are two things I wanted. I wanted to be able to – you guys to name something, not that he's pulling a Kirk, but he's pulling a Steve, so I have a 25-way a tie for 10. <laughs> no, I don't. That would be That would be great. But it's funny you say that because I let in that I had a 10 way tie for 11. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. All right. All right. Well, but, but I want to say, um, before I do that, if, if you guys do, uh, before I get to that, if you do do something easier in the future, like the, the 10 best colors of blue, <laughs> I have that list. I, I, I mean, I just want, I would just want to go, I'm already set Navy teal, Sky blue, cobalt royal, robin's egg, cerulean, sapphire midnight, and then number one would be 1967 Cadillac metallic blue. Nice blue, which <laughs> is basically midnight and sapphire with sparkles. So, nice blue. Wow, bonus content. When you guys are there, just you've already got it for me. <laughs> okay, we'll go to the list. Start at number ten and work your way up. All right, number ten. Not on your list. I put in Moms Mabley. Uh, I wanted to put in Phyllis Diller. Uh, and I looked up the two to compare because I was very woman weak on this. So I looked up women comedians. I looked up and, and women comedians, they consider 
Lucille Ball and Carol Burnett. It just had these fabulous uh, movie star, TV stars that I don't think were stand-ups. So, so yeah. funny women. Yeah, it was. It, it said comedians, and I'm like, come on, that. So I put in Mom's Mabley because she fit most of my criteria. Yeah. 1894 to 1975, she played the Chitlin Circuit all the way up and was on Laughing. And if that doesn't knock doors down and and represent, I, 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 it's amazing. It's like going from covered wagon to the moon on a rocket ship for me. So that's that's why I put that. There's there's number ten. Great choice, uh, Lenny Bruce, number nine. That you couldn't couldn't have a a Carlin or maybe a prior. And he he did not have the longest career longevity, but. He he broke down more barriers, not doors, but barriers. It's different. And then um, I coin flipped Dave Chappelle and and Jay Leno uh, for number eight. Um, and uh, Jay Leno won when I did that. I think in thirty years, if Dave Chappelle continues, uh, he'll he'll probably be at the top of anybody's list. And uh, but I put Jay Leno because I he's not. He's not my favorite. I've met him. I think he's done uh, uh, a lot, and and he's a great stand-up. He's just a great stand-up. If you've ever got to see him, he's bulletproof. He's bulletproof. So, uh, number seven, uh, it was another coin flip, uh, but Bob Newhart, number seven. Yeah. And the coin flip was between him and Shelley Berman. They started out around the same time. They did much of the same type of material, the phone calls and all this, but um, Bob Newhart, it just uh, hard to art. Everybody knows him as a TV star, but man, he was a great standup. Just, just fantastic. He was a master. Nope. Yeah, I think so. And um, uh, not enough can be said. And friends with Don Rickles, best friends with the one-liner that we taught a story guy and a one-liner guy, best friends. Incredible. <laughs> um, Eddie Murphy is my number six. Um, I think he's going to make a comeback. Uh, the most watched Saturday Night Live was when he hosted again. His Raw and um, and his early, you know, uh, one man thing. They're maybe a little cringeworthy now with some of the subject matter, but at the time, he was pushing the edge as far as anybody could. And I don't know if I've ever heard people in an audience laugh harder than I did on his his albums. Uh, number four and five interchangeable to me on, on, at their level or whatever, but I put number five, Jerry Seinfeld, um, still going as strong in every possible direction. His most recent, uh, standup special. He loves standup. He's probably the best white knight out there for standup. And, uh, there's not much more to, he's, he's great. I, I do observational com- comedy, and I'm I'm not to the the nth power that he is. I wish I was. <laughs> and uh, number four, uh, I should have said I don't care what anybody says. I just went by not social norms or or what somebody's done, or if they did drugs or 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 are in jail for other things. Bill Cosby's my number four. Um, I listened to him before he. Well, he might have been doing the things that he's accused of and in jail for. I didn't know about it. And he was as powerful of a comedian that I have 
ever heard at that point. So I can, I don't mean to get your podcast in trouble or anti-woman or any of that aspect, but Bill Cosby, I have all of his albums. They affected me. I laughed hard. And, um, there's that. Do we listen to those albums differently now? Um, I listen to Spanish fly differently. I don't listen to my, my dad, the giant differently. So some material, I think you probably could look at it differently. Uh, but, um, his album wonderfulness, it's just a bunch of stories and he's gearing for a younger crowd and stories about go-karts and, uh, you know, lumps and oatmeal and the monster or horror show that you're listening to on the radio. You know, it's all about stuff like that. And it still plays really well. I, before we started, I had mentioned that I'm not going to put him on my list. I said, but in a nicer world and everything, he would be number four on mine, uh, as well. He's, he was a giant. Yeah. 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 I, I appreciate that. And it was, I put a question mark, like, do we punish I, I don't know how to punish people for things after the fact. Yeah, I don't know. I know. It's so, a tough call. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a good point though. Number three, I, I think might surprise you guys. Uh, maybe it won't. I'm, I'm very anxious to hear this. This is the one I'm kind of most proud of. Uh, it's Johnny Carson. Ah, nice. Is, uh, my number three. 30 years of being on five nights a week. I mean, he had guest hosts, but he was a star maker. He, you know, some people on your list, Seinfeld, uh, Stephen Wright, Jay Leno, uh, David Letterman, to name, you know, some of the big four of comedy uh, and um, uh, Eddie Murphy. But he was a stand up before then. And when they did the strikes, he wrote all his own material Mm -hmm. and uh, maybe he had help. Maybe he called up a buddy. Who knows? But he wrote for that month. And it was one of the most watched shows. And so as far as making people and opening uh, fame doors, there's nobody like him. And and 30 years without social media, and he was that big. I, I just, yeah. I, I when I came up with that, I was kind of proud of myself a little bit. That's <laughs> the only one that I just went, yeah, no, I'd, I'd fight to the death on that one. No, it's a great call. Oh, thanks. Thank you. And, uh, and, and number two and number one, uh, they're, I think they'd probably be on anybody. Well, it's alphabetically, it's George Carlin and Richard Pryor. They're the, the two, I think best pound for pound standups over time, longest distance. They are the, I don't do anything like either of them. They had lives that were far different than mine, but they resonated with the humanity that, um, that people have. And I, I think they're probably the best at what I do. And, and they're, they're a mile further. And I know I left off people like Robin Williams and I left off a a couple people that, um, are fantastic, but there's, there's my list. It's, it's actually closer to ours than you would imagine. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. I was yeah. I was worried that you guys. What's this guy? Let's cut out this second section. <laughs> yeah, Pryor was my number three, and Carlin was my number two. Uh, Pryor was Kirk's number two, and Carlin was his number one. So yeah, we we agree. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fantastic! And can I can I quickly say uh, the 
the the funniest guy, and I know it wasn't favorites or whatever, but there's so many people that that people out there don't hear. And uh, you know, there's a guy named Jack Gallagher that had a TV show for a cup of coffee, and he is he is the funniest person I've ever seen. And Brian Regan is up there, and a guy uh, Brian Regan's the most known of my favorite comedians there's a guy named Don Friesen and Jim Gaffigan didn't make my list and 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 they are some of the funniest Paula Poundstone I I I was very woman short and Ellen I've opened for Paula and Ellen and they're both monsters of the funny the George Lopez's the Gabriel Iglesias Mm -hmm. and there's some funny people so Thank you for including me, fellas. Oh, thank you. Oh, absolutely. What? Um, how can people follow you on social media if they choose to? Yes, it's incredibly hard to find me. Uh, SteveBruner.com. It took me about 20 years to come up with that. <laughs> and um, I'm on Twitter and, and Facebook. Steve Bruner. I think it's called Comedian Steve Bruner on Facebook. So uh, I'm easy to find. Put in comedy, put in Steve Bruner. A bunch of old videos will come up that you don't want to watch, but watch some of the newer stuff. Ah, I, I have watched, and it's worth watching. Oh. Um, you also mentioned there was a couple charities and groups that you you uh, feel very strongly about. Would you like to mention them? Oh, oh yeah. Um, I've always given to Kiva. They're micro loans. That it's amazing that twenty five dollars can change somebody's life, and uh, and also Centurion. Uh, that 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 fights for people that are in jail that may be unjustly accused. They kind of mostly people. I think Centurion is actually people on death row. I'm not a big uh, death penalty advocate, so uh, mm-hmm. I just I want people out. And and my folks both died of uh, of cancer related things. So I have a leukemia and, and the American Cancer Society that are uh, that are big that I give money to. You don't have to, but I do, and I raise money for. You know, things like that. I'm sure I left off something. I gave you a big list, but those, I got more money than, uh, than I've spent. So, well, it's good to know you're using your powers for good instead of evil. <laughs> Sometimes. And anybody that's uh, interested, uh, Kiva is spelled K I V A, if they're going to look that up. Um, so, Centurion, the Innocence Project. Oh, yeah. I have a little group. I think it's called, uh, sorry, Stand Up with Steve Bruner, I think is my Great. Kiva team. Yep. Fantastic. Sorry. Oh, that's great. I'm, I'm actually on Kiva as well, so I'm going to look you up. Thank you. Well, thanks again, Steve, for being on. Uh, it was wonderful catching up with you and uh, hearing your thoughts about things and a uh, fantastic list that you put together. We, we really appreciate you being part of the show. Thank you so much. This was a lot more fun. I thought you guys would, uh, would, would be horrid and hateful with my uh, every word. So I'm so glad to be disappointed in that way. <laughs> Well, that's just me. Kirk's very, very delightful and charming. <laughs> Stay well, fellas. Stay Thanks safe. again. Thanks, Steve. All right, Steve. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, always awesome to talk with Steve. Uh, I'm glad he was able to make it on the show. Uh, what a good guy. Funny guy. Always made me laugh. Well, that brings us to our next segment, uh, which is the time for the listeners' voices to be heard, and that is... The Populist. The Populist. Uh, got more voters this week. It was, it was nice to see. Uh, we had a wide range of opinions. Uh, still, we have our ties because that's just what happens. There's a lot to choose from. So with no further ado, the listeners said that tied for the number 10 spot, which is, I think, the biggest tie that we have, uh, started off with Bob Hope. 
Bill Cros- uh, Cosby, Bill Burr, Eddie Izzard, Margaret Cho, and George Burns. So we had a lot of the uh, the old guard represented in that one. Very much. Uh, if any people haven't seen Eddie Izzard's Eddie Izzard's act, it's fantastic. Came close to making my list too. Uh, number nine was a tie of Whoopi Goldberg, Jonathan Winters, Billy Connolly, Albert Brooks, and Bob Newhart. Number eight, a tie from uh, between Wanda Sykes, Robert Klein, Phyllis Stiller, and Rodney Dangerfield. Gary Shandling and Dave Chappelle tied in number seven. Number six was a tie between Don Rickles, Jerry Seinfeld, and Ellen DeGeneres. Number five, all by himself, was Billy Crystal. Number four, a tie between Chris Rock and his mentor, Eddie Murphy. Number three, a tie between Richard Pryor and Steve Martin. Number two was George Carlin all by himself, leaving at number one, Robin Williams. How many times did you vote, Steve? I only vote once, dude. Us up. Us up. Once. You got your family to vote. The dog voted. My family did vote, but let me tell you right now, my son Jack is a huge Dave Chappelle and Bill Burr fan, so I don't think he voted that makes sense. Close the, way, the way I voted. Those kids. Yep, yep, yep. Good job, listeners. As always, uh, a lot of good names there. Uh, gave nice. us a chance to mention a, a few names that we didn't mention in our own segment, so always good to have the populist. Well, that about does it for this week's show. Um, we're coming into the last five shows of season number one here. So we're starting our little wind down. Uh, we hope you listen to them all. We Already? always appreciate your listening. I know. Uh, we have a number of good episodes coming up. Uh, but next week's is the one that we care about right now. And that is a listener suggested topic that we got off of our, our site. And that is going to be best board games of all time. So, uh, a lot of different uh, time periods to cover there, different styles and different approaches to board games. But board games have always been a part of at least Americana and uh, family life. So that should be fun to take a dive into that. And what populister do we have to thank for that? Populister Paul Durbin, a longtime friend of ours. Uh, Paul Durbin. Know, thank you, made, Paul. Made that suggestion. Yep. Good suggestion. Yep. And then uh, the next couple episodes after that, uh, I guess I can... Tip ahead of time. Should I tip them or should I not? I'll give a little bit of a hint. Oh, we'll give a, we'll give a couple. We won't give all five. We'll give a couple. Okay. So after best board games, we are going to have um, the best best picture winners in honor of the upcoming uh, Academy Awards. So of all the movies that were best pictures, we're going to choose the best of the best pictures. And then after that, we're going to have best sporting events from a worldwide perspective. So which sporting events are the must-sees in the world of sports. So it's not limited to any one thing like baseball or football. It can be anything, and we'll talk about which ones are the very, very best. So that's what you have to look forward to for three of the next five episodes. And You can find Populist on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or wherever you go to get your quality podcasts. We're a member of the Buzzspout community, and Populist is a vintage year production, Steve. And we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash populist podcast and Twitter at populist underscore pod and uh, Instagram as well as populist pod. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, being part of our community. We uh, appreciate each and every one of you, and we look forward to talking with you next time. So until then, stay safe, be careful. See you soon. Be good, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.